chapter 5, verse 1. Now the Israelites had captured the ark of God and brought it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. Okay, Ashdod is down here. So Ebenezer was here where they got defeated, and they're bringing it down to Ashdod. There are five very powerful cities in the Philistine territory. These five cities control all of Philistine. And it is Ekron, Gath, Gaza, Ashkelon, and Ashdod. These are like the five, this would be like Washington, D.C., New York, Los Angeles, those kind of equivalent things. So these are their five powerful cities. So they're bringing the Ark of the Covenant to Ashdod, a very powerful city. Now remember, power in the ancient world, what makes a city powerful in America is economics and politics. What makes a city in the ancient world powerful is religion. And because your God is there, then the city ends up becoming politically and economically powerful. But the heart of the power is the God. So that means when they're bringing it to Ashdod, they're bringing it to a city where the God's power is very powerful, very prevalent. Now, in an ancient way of thinking, a pagan way of thinking, if they have just defeated Yahweh or the army and they've captured the Ark of God, then they have their God has just defeated Yahweh. Their God has just defeated Yahweh. And the same way that they brought Samson into the temple of Dagon and celebrated Dagon's victory over Yahweh because they captured his warrior, they're going to do the same thing with the Ark of the Covenant. Now, what's interesting is that all throughout this, they're going to call it the Ark of God. It's never going to be called the Ark of Yahweh because they don't see it as the Ark of Yahweh. They see it as the Ark of God. God is now calling it, notice even back with the Israelites, it's called the Ark of God. Normally, it's called the Ark of Yahweh okay, or the Ark of the Covenant or the Covenant of Yahweh and all those different phrases that are used of it. But when the Israelites grabbed it and brought it into the war camp, it started being called the Ark of God because they don't see it as Yahweh, a relational God. They saw it as a magical box. And the Philistines are going to call it the Ark of God because they see it as a magical box because they're pagans. And so the narrator is using the way he's, he's using the title of the Ark, not to say that this is what the Ark is called, but he's using the title to represent their thinking, the way that they're viewing the Ark. At that time period. They brought to Ashdod. Verse 2. The Philistines took the Ark of God and brought it into the temple of Dagon, where they positioned it beside Dagon. Now remember, Dagon is the grain god. He's a god of grain and agriculture, and he's the father of Baal. And he is very much worshipped in Philistine territory. And usually Baal or Dagon is more influential in Philistine territory. And different regions <laughs> emphasize Dagon, and other regions emphasize Baal. But they're basically father and son. Now there's other writings in the Canaanite mythology that make it sound like El, the, the god of wisdom, is Baal's <laughs> father. But it could be that the pagans just have no consistency, or that El is more of a father as leader, and Dagon is more of a father biologically. However, that works with gods. So they positioned beside Dagon, the statue. Now, this would have been a big statue. This would have been taller than a human. They would have these things called teraphim, and teraphim were little idols, anywhere from like a little teeny like action figure G.I. Joe doll 
like all the way up to like a garden gnome kind of a thing. And so, and they would carry these around in their houses or with them and that kind of stuff. And they worshiped them. But when you walked into a temple, the gods were always bigger than humans because now you're in the house of the God. And you need, you need to feel like a peon in the presence of the God when you walked into their house. And so typically these statues, now remember the Ark of the Covenant was probably up to about my knees. So the Dagon statue is, <laughs> I can't help that. It's just like one of my favorite things in the entire Bible. So um, is way bigger than the Ark of the, of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant has been captured. Israel has been defeated. Yahweh is pathetic. Dagon is great. The Ark of the Covenant is a little peon, little box, and the face of a giant statue. Everything is, you're thinking, if you're watching this in a Hollywood movie or watching this in politics and news, you're thinking, Yahweh is pathetic. Two things are happening here. One, they're viewing it that way because they have failed to represent Yahweh accurately. Right now, Christianity is a laughingstock in America. Christianity is not respected in any kind of way. God is not revered in any way. And it largely has to do with our lack of representation. And I don't mean you individually, but just as a whole, the American church. Our hypocrisy, our bigotedness, our lack of love, our, our bad theology, the fact that we know so many Bible stories but have no idea what the theology is of the stories. The way that we reflect him does reflect upon him. And in that way, you should be mourning the fact, like we should be mourning it in our own culture, that partly the reason Yahweh in this ark looks so pathetic in comparison to a stupid stone statue is because they have so failed to represent him accurately. And how else will they know who Yahweh is if the images fail to reflect? But in another sense... Yahweh has allowed himself to be viewed this way in this particular moment, not throughout all of history, but in this particular moment so that he can, so to speak, explode upon them and reveal his glory in a very powerful way. Because basically what he's going to say is that, yes, your image or lack of image of Yahweh will affect the way that the culture views Yahweh or respects and reveres him. But eventually there will come a day where he will push you aside and he will no longer use you as an image to represent him. He will represent himself. But unfortunately, when he does that, it also is known as judgment day. Either way, he will get glory. And the question is, will he get glory because we're obedient and faithful and righteous and godly and we bring many other people into the glory of God in this relationship with God because they're wowed by who this God is or will he get glory because we've walked away and the culture doesn't know who he is and he comes in smashing and judgment either way he will get the glory either way every knee will bow and every tongue will confess the question is will it be through our righteousness and a culture who praises him or a church and a culture who's oblivious to who he is and judgment begins in the house of God? That's the question. And so now, what are we seeing? Basically what's happening here is Israel under Moses and Joshua, everybody knew who Yahweh was because of their faithfulness. But now Israel's being judged and crushed and Israel, Philistines are about ready to be judged and crushed as God makes himself known. 
Are they presenting the art to Dagon as a spoil, or are they claiming it and hoping to turn it into a god of their own as well? The first. It's very, 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 very common that when you go conquer things in battle and that kind of stuff, you take the spoils and bring them to your God and lay them as an offering. In the same way that they took the spoils of Jericho and, re- and melted them down and refashioned and put them into the tabernacle, they would do the same thing. So yes, this is not an attempt to fashion Yahweh into one of their pagan gods. It's an attempt to basically... Well, it's not an attempt. They are offering Yahweh... <laughs> as a conquered god who is before Dagon in submission as a trophy of spoil of war being offered to him. So they brought to the temple of Dagon where they positioned beside Dagon. Verse 3, When the residents of Ashdod got up early in the next day, Dagon was lying on the ground before the Ark of Yahweh. Why? What immediately would you think? You're in a temple and the god is lying down on his face before the Ark of the Covenant, what is he doing? He's bowing down worshiping it. And this is where it begins. The tingling of the ears. Okay, this is where it begins. They have just offered Yahweh as a tr- captured enemy trophy to Dagon. But in the morning, imagine that battle. <laughs> when you get to the book of Daniel, it makes it very clear that there is a battle in the spiritual war realm. And so Dagon is now on the ground. He's face down the ground, bowing towards Yahweh in his own temple, in his own territory. And that is extremely significant. Because remember, the pagan way of thinking is, your gods only have power in your territory. Well, they just went into Israelite territory and conquered Yahweh's people and took his ark. Now... They are in one of the most powerful Philistine cities, one of the most powerful God temples. And this defeated God, so to speak, has just defeated their God and forced their God to bow down to him. And that would be a very powerful message. So they took Dagon and set him back in his place. But when they got up early in the following morning, Dagon again lying on the ground before the Ark of Yahweh, and the head of Dagon and his two hands were shared off and were lying at the threshold. Only Dagon's body was left intact. Now, here's what's interesting. Remember, in the pagan way of thinking, what do you do to your enemies after you conquer them? You cut their heads and hands off. Now, God never, ever, ever, ever approves of mutilating the enemy. However, this is different. This is a God. (laughs) He is speaking the language of the Philistines. Now he's not just bowing down and worshiping me. Now he is defeated, crushed. His hands and head are removed. And they would know exactly what this means in their culture. God has crushed him on Dagon's home turf. Now it says, for this reason to this very day, neither Dagon's priests nor anyone else's who entered Dagon's temple step on Dagon's threshold and Ashdod. Now the point is this. The threshold was considered a line between the spiritual and physical realm. What happens is when you cross the threshold, you're stepping out of the material realm into the spiritual realm. You're walking into heaven, so to speak, or their version. Remember, they have no concept of heaven, but their concept of the spiritual realm. They consider the threshold holy, sacred, so they would never step on it because that's when you're crossing into a brand new world. 
This is even bigger because we're not just in this physical temple on earth with a physical statue. In their way of thinking, this is the house of Dagon that's on the circumference of the earth. His actual house. Just can't get that Dagon statue out of your head. <laughs> the stupidity of this is, they think this threshold's sacred, but it's really just a house and a statue that's been crushed. Yahweh attacked the residents of Ashdod severely, bringing devastation on them. He struck the people of both Ashdod and the surrounding area with sores, or some of your translations say tumors or growths. When the people of Ashdod saw what was happening, they said, The ark of God of Israel should not remain with us, for he has attacked both us and our God Dagon. Notice that it's been the ark of God, but then when the narrator says that the statue of Dagon was bowing before the ark of Yahweh, but then when it goes back to the people talking, it's the ark of God. So the narrator is going back between these titles to show you this really is Yahweh who's defeated them. But they can only see a box. So he begins to strike them down. Now, tumors are probably not accurate unless, like, can you imagine that? That'd be so horrific. You go to bed, and the next morning everybody wakes up with tumors. And remember, the only way you can tell if you have a tumor without x-rays is if it's coming out of your body. That's a fast-growing tumor. But that's not the idea. The idea is that this is probably something like the bubonic plague. And the, the, the growths that were associated with the bubonic plague. When people got struck down with the bubonic plague, these growths began to protrude on them, and they were also sores. And so it's this idea, there's probably a sore slash growth coming out of their body. They were being struck down with a plague, the same plagues that God brought on Egypt in judgment. The, the Philistines are the new Egypt, so to speak. The Philistines are the new Egypt. Now, this is significant because remember... There is some truth to the fact that, like, yes, Dagon is not real, but there is really, truly a demonic power behind this God. There is a, and if, you, if you've been sacrificing humans to Dagon in this temple for years upon years upon years and worshiping him and sacrificing him, worshiping him and sacrificing him, I guarantee you the demons have gathered there. And there's a very powerful demonic presence. So in some way, they do view this city as more powerful than any other city because of the spiritual presence there. But in some way, they're right. Not because there really is a powerful Dagon God there, but that, that was not intentional. <laughs> but that there really is a strong demonic presence. And the more you sin, the more you worship these gods, the more you sacrifice your kids here, the more demonic presence is going to get there, the more powerful they're going to become. And yet, this is nothing to Yahweh. He's just crushing him. None of the spirits can protect them from the plague. A very powerful spiritual city is just being devastated by Yahweh. And so we talked about this in that divine council um, topical study we went through, that yes, the gods are portrayed as real in a certain sense with power, but still nothing compared to the power of God. Nothing compared to the power of God. And so he's crushing them. So they assembled all the leaders of the Philistines and asked, what should we do with the Ark of God of Israel? They replied, the Ark of God of Israel should be moved to Gath. So they moved the Ark of God to Israel, of Israel. So here's Ashdod. Now, technically, Gaza and Ashkelon are a much more powerful city in their way of thinking, spiritually. 
but they probably didn't move it to Ashkelon and Gaza because if this is a bubonic plague, it might be connected to the rats. And rats are often connected with ships. That's how they tend to transport. And there's always more rats at harbors than usually anywhere else. They might be avoiding these two cities because of the rats that are connected with this plague that's happening. So they move it to Gath. And so they're moving to Gath, which was, would be a very powerful city, but at the same time it's not connected to these rats. So they move it there. But Yahweh attacked that city as well, causing a great deal of panic. And he struck all the people of that city with sores, and so they sent the, the, um, the god the, the, to Ekron. And Ekron is down here. And so Ekron is here, still away from the coast. The idea is, no matter what powerful city they send it to, it keeps getting clobbered. Washington, D.C., New York, Los Angeles, it doesn't matter. It keeps getting clobbered. And it also is painting this idea that this is not coincidence. It's one thing for the bubonic plague to move through Europe like a wave. It's another thing for it to zigzag to certain cities that just happen to correspond to the Ark of Covenant of Yahweh. But when the Ark of God arrived at Ekron, the residents of Ekron cried out, saying, They have brought the Ark of God of Israel here to kill out all the people. So notice that when the Ark shows up, it doesn't say, Oh, and a plague followed it yet. It just said the people are immediately like, No, 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 don't bring it here. We don't want it. So they had, this shows you that they've intentionally connected the two ideas. They don't see this as coincidence. And remember, in the ancient way of thinking, nothing is coincidence. Nothing. Everything is connected to the gods. They have brought the ark of God to Israel here to kill our people. So they assembled all the leaders of the Philistines and said, Get the ark of God out of Israel, out of here. Let it go back to its own place so that it won't kill us and our people. The terror of death was throughout the entire city. God was attacking them very severely there. And the people who did not die were struck with sores. And the seas cried for help went all the way to the sky, all the way up to God. Samson ended with Israel not crying out to Yahweh. Eli did not bring any cry out to Yahweh. When they got conquered by the Philistines, they didn't cry out to Yahweh. But now the Philistines are crying out to Yahweh. 